Good morning, City Light, you hearty people. You made it this morning. Congratulations. Who doesn't like waking up with like 12 inches of snow? Um, On an unrelated note, I did decide this morning that I'm going to be planting a new church, so this will be my last Sunday, somewhere near the equator. Um, And so I don't know where, I just know it's going to be near the equator. Is anyone going to come with me? All right. I thought I might get a a few people to agree to that today, but... um, Well, good morning. My name is Joe, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, If you haven't yet, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open to the book of Matthew chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning uh, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. But this morning is a little unique. I don't know if you guys noticed, we got a little horse tank trough over here. There is not going to be a walking on water demonstration. That's not why it's there. But this morning, we get to celebrate after the sermon. uh, We're going to have some of our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ getting baptized today. Amen. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you, church, this is a good morning. This is an exciting morning. This is a fun morning. And so as the people are being baptized here at the end of the gathering, I want to encourage you to cheer, to yell, to to shout, because this is something of eternal significance uh, that we don't get to see every day. And I want to confess, this is one of my favorite days of the year because of that. Because the reality is, new buildings will crumble. Parking lots will go away. Even donuts will mold. I know that's hard to believe, but what is happening today with our baptisms of of people publicly proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ, they are showing what Jesus has already done in their hearts in a public manner. That has eternal significance. And so that's why today matters. And that's why we give so much of our lives to this thing, to see Jesus move in a unique way in the hearts and the lives of people and calling sinners to himself. Amen. So let this morning be a celebration. Let it be a good time. Let's yell out. Let's get it going. We're going to have fun today. Okay. Is that okay? All right. Awesome. Now, The reality is, is that when we do encounter Jesus, things change. We don't stay the same. And so that is what you're symbolizing this morning. As you go under the water and you come back up, you are symbolizing a change. Because when you go underwater, what you're symbolizing is a death. A death to self, a death to sin, a death to the ways and the patterns of this world. And when you're coming back up, you're symbolizing new life in Jesus, which means new values, a new scorecard, and new identity in Christ. And so we know that that new identity, that new life in Christ is not simply eternal. It is eternal, but it's not simply eternal. It's a life that starts right now. When we meet Jesus, we don't stay the same. Now, much of that change is absolutely amazing. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have joy and peace that transcends all of our circumstances. We have a hope that will take us and hold us through any trial that we experience on this side of eternity. 
I trusted Jesus when I was 18 years old, and I can tell you that the joy and the peace and the hope that comes with knowing Jesus is an absolutely incredible gift. But there's always a but. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a sermon. (laughs) The Bible also affirms that when you trust and follow Jesus, not everything gets easier. In fact, in today's text, we press into chapter 10 of our Matthew series, where Jesus is going to warn us that walking with him is also going to bring opposition and difficulty. And so the context is this. Jesus has been with his disciples for some time now, and he's been uh, uh, teaching and training and and modeling ministry to them. And now in chapter 10, uh, he is going to commission them and send them out. And they're going to start to do ministry without him for a time. It's the first short-term mission trip that has ever been. Jesus is sending them out. And like a loving father getting ready to send his, uh, his kids to college, he's going to give them a heads up on what to expect. And he's going to give them some encouragement in how to, chase the, the, or how to face the challenges that they're going to face and why it's all going to be worth it in the end. And so church, one of the things that we're going to see today is that following Jesus is not easy, but it is better. It ain't easy, but it is better. Our passage is going to help us have some right and healthy expectations for what following Jesus is really like. When you are a Christian, you get Jesus, but also with that, you're likely to get some haters. You're going to get some people that aren't all that excited about the fact that you follow Jesus. You're not going to have professors say, oh yeah, guess what? You're great. You follow Jesus. A plus, right? Like that is not going to happen. You get Jesus, but you also get some haters. And I think it's important for us this morning that we grasp this. Because the reality is, is that if if we don't understand this, if we don't grasp this, we're going to be tempted to tap out to push away from the table, to push away from Jesus when we experience opposition, when we experience rejection, when we experience the very things that Jesus is warning us about in the text today. And so if I could summarize what we're going to learn this morning, it's this. Followers of Christ can expect opposition. However, we can proclaim the truth because the truth will ultimately be revealed. And the reward far outweighs the cost. For the four of you that take notes, don't worry. Those are going to be my three points. So you don't have to write it all down right now. Look with me at Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 24 to 25. First point is this. Followers of Christ can expect opposition. Followers of Christ can expect opposition. All right, Matthew 10, 24 to 25. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? Okay, so the master of the house that Jesus is talking about here is himself. He's talking about himself. He is the master of his house. And he's telling his disciples that people are calling him Beelzebul or the prince of demons or Satan. And, and what he's saying is that if they are willing to call him that, 
how much worse will it be for the people in his household? Now, the people in his household are his disciples. They're his followers. So basically he's saying, if they're going to call me Satan, guess what? It's actually going to be much worse for you. Now, we've got some context that the disciples at that time did not have. We can zoom out from the story a little bit and even take this farther because not only was Jesus maligned by these people, not only was he hated by these people, he was killed by these people. We know it actually gets worse. And yet the words that Jesus are sharing here are still true. Even though they are going to take me and kill me, how much worse is it going to be for you? And so this is not a great pep talk. Jesus must have missed a few days in his prosperity gospel preaching class because he's not understanding how we respond to some positive encouragement here, right? But I absolutely love this about Jesus because he's honest with us. He doesn't let us think that when we bow our knee to him, when we start to follow him, that everything is going to be smooth. He tells us right off the bat, nope, actually there's going to be opposition. There's going to be rejection. When I came to Christ, when I was 18, my mom thought I had joined a cult. That's for real. And she told me many times that she thought I had joined a cult. My dad started praying that I would come back to my senses. And I'm like, I think I actually have now finally come to my senses. I had friends that stopped hanging out with me, a lot of them actually, because I was no longer partying with them. This was real for me as I accepted Christ, starting to see some of my core relationships, there being some opposition and a little bit of rejection. Now, church, I don't know what that looks like, has looked like, or is going to look like for you. But the reality is you're going to seem simple-minded, arrogant, bigoted. People are going to call you these things. There is going to be opposition. There is going to be rejection. You might lose some friends. You aren't going to see the way the world sees. And so let us say, don't be surprised by opposition, but rather expect it. And for those of you being baptized this morning, in this room, there are a lot of people that are going to applaud They're going to clap. They're going to be very, very excited for you this morning. However, when you leave this room, that is not necessarily the case. Not everyone's going to be excited about the decision you're making. Not everyone is going to be excited that you are publicly proclaiming your faith in Jesus Christ. People might push away from you. But for you and for all of us, church, there is incredibly good news in there in the face of this opposition. Look at the last part of what Jesus says in the passage that we read. What did, who does he say would be maligned? He says, those of his household. How much more will they malign those of my household? Jesus is calling the followers, his followers, members of his very household. And as members of his household, his followers are under his care. They're under his authority. They're under his protection. They also enjoy the privileges of being in his household, which means freedom from the slavery of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. There are a lot of amazing things that come with being in the household 
of Jesus. It means that we know when this life ends, it's just a transition to an incredible eternal life with pure joy and with our very creator. No more death, no more sadness, but simply joy with our creator. That's what we know about the household of Jesus. So church, for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, there will be opposition. It will come. He says it right here. All we need to do is look at the life of Jesus to understand that. The world will reject his followers. And so we should not act surprised when that happens and wonder what went wrong, but really maybe take it as a sign as things are actually going right because we have opposition and rejection. And then when it comes, let's not focus on the opposition and rejection itself, but let it let us let it remind us the fact that we are in the household of Jesus in the first place. Amen. All right. Well, next, Jesus is going to show us why not only can we endure the hate of the world, but that we also do not need to fear what is to come. And so the second point this morning is this. We can proclaim the truth because truth will ultimately be revealed. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So right there in the beginning, we see that Jesus gives us a command. He says, have no fear of them. He's talking about the people that are maligning and rejecting and, and uh, basically the people in the world. And, and around this, um, this command of have no fear in him, uh, we, we have the words so and for. So have no fear of them for. And when those words, so or for, pop up, a little alarm bell needs to go off in our heads. Because what is happening when those words are being used is that there is an argument that has been made or is being made. Does that make sense? So, so the, uh, the word so makes us look back. Okay, what just happened? He made an argument. The, the, the word for makes us look ahead. Says, okay, he's going to make an argument for why we should follow the command that he has given us. And so we already looked in verse 26. We talked about the good news that his followers of Christ are in his household. Basically what Jesus is saying is that you do not need to fear these people because you are in my household. You are under my protection. You are under my authority. And so you don't have to fear these people. Now let's look at uh, verse 26. The, The second argument that points back. Verse 26 ends with, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What Jesus is saying there is, I have given you the truth. I have spoken true words to you, and you will see that these words will stand the test of time. These words will show themselves as truth. Everything will be revealed. Nothing is hidden that won't, and you will see that the words that I have given you are the very bedrock of truth. And so what Jesus is saying here is you don't have to be afraid of those who would hate you on my account 
because you are solidly in my household. You are under my care. And one day the truth will be fully brought to light and your enemies will be exposed. He's saying, you are in my house and what I tell you is true. So don't fear those in the world. Don't fear those who would hate you on my account. Today is the Daytona 500. And y'all are like, the what? Okay, relax. This closeted redneck is about to give you a racing analogy, okay? So can you bear with me for the next two minutes? Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so in my early 20s, I was getting ready to race in what's called an enduro. This is a 200-lap dirt track car race um, in which it's basically kind of survival of the fittest because it's a long race. Um, And so I was not a terribly experienced driver at this point. And my dad was there. He was going to be my pit crew. He was also getting me ready for the race. And so he pulled me aside before the race and he said, listen, this this race is 200 laps long. And so it's not going to do you any good if you try to win this race on the first few laps. And so this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to stick to the high side of the track, the outside of the track. Now, okay, okay, why am I doing that? He says, this is gonna, this is, that you're doing this for two reasons. Number one, if you stick to the high side, you're gonna avoid most of the trouble that a lot of the other drivers are gonna get into because they're trying to race each other on the first 10 laps of the race. Secondarily, towards the middle and the end of the race, the high side of the track is actually gonna be the fast part. And so the part of the track that you on, you are on is gonna be the fastest and you'll have one of the fastest cars if things go well. And so I said, okay, this sounds great. He said, but listen, At the beginning of the race, people are going to be passing you. It's going to seem like it's not going well, but I'm telling you, if you're patient and if you stay up there, you're going to survive, things are going to go well. So I said, okay. And I listened to my dad for two reasons. Two reasons I listened to him. Number one, I was in his household. I knew that he cared about me. I knew that he wasn't going to steer me wrong. I knew that he was giving me good advice. Number two, I was an inexperienced race car driver, but he was not. He was a very experienced race car driver. So he knew much more about the truth of race car driving than I did. And so I was going to trust him with what he was telling me to be true. So I did it. Um, And at the beginning of the race, yep, people were past me. I was sticking to the high side. But what happened was I also avoided several wrecks. And so my position on the track, I pretty much stayed fairly close. Um, And then as the race went on, sure enough, the high side of the track where I was and where my line was, was the fastest part. And all of a sudden, I had the fastest car on the track and I was passing everyone. The truth was being revealed and I was on my way to winning the race. And then I crashed. (laughs) Which just goes to show that sin and death are still in the world. So... But we can trust Jesus because we are in his household and the words that he has given us are the very truth of God. So after Jesus tells them not to fear, he gives them one more command. Look back with me at verse 27. Jesus says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Basically, what he is telling his disciples here is, tell people what I've told you. What you've heard me tell you, proclaim. What you've heard me tell you within this kind of small group of people, proclaim on the housetops. The very words that I've told you, you need to tell other people. I am using you to spread the good news of the kingdom of God coming with the whole world. You guys are my laborers I am sending out into 
the harvest field. Church, being a follower of Jesus and engaging in the ministry that he calls all of his followers to engage in is not simply a mission, a mission of deed, but of word as well. Not only does Jesus change some of our behaviors and how we relate to each other and to the world, but he gives us his words to say, and he tells us, proclaim them. He says, go out. You have to use your words. Tell people the words that I have told you. Now, can we just get real for a second? Is this a safe room this morning? Is that, is that okay? Can I confess something to you guys? Yeah? Okay. Not getting much response. We'll see how this goes. Um, I don't like this command. I don't. Don't like it at all. I need to confess that, and I need to repent of it, because it is the command in the words of God. But here's the deal. I just wonder to myself, can't I just be a nice guy? Can't I be a good dad? Can't I help the poor, love my neighbor, care about the marginalized, forgive people who have done me wrong? Can't I just preach the gospel through my actions and then stay quiet? That's what I ask myself. That's what I am prone to. Guys, I'm a pastor. I'm literally proclaiming the gospel to hundreds of people right now. This is going to go out. There's a video that's going to go out on the internet. At least seven people are going to watch it. But when it comes to my lost neighbor and talking with them about Jesus, I get all weird and I clam up and I start to sweat in places and I actually lose more hair up here somehow and it goes to my face. It's the weirdest thing in the world. But I say that to say, my guess is I'm probably not the only one in the room that feels this way. Am I? Can we be honest? Like, is this? I am. Okay, great. Well, I'm preaching myself just ignore me for a little bit, but I'm probably not the only one that makes up excuses like, oh, they probably don't want to hear, you know, me talk about that. That, that seems weird. Or why would they want to know about my relationship with Jesus? I, I do these things in my head and I wonder if I'm not the only one that does that. But here's the deal. If we do all the loving things in the world for someone, which is important, but never tell them about the gospel, that is not loving at all. Our mission is not to fill potholes on the interstate to the road to hell, but to point people to the narrow path, which is grace and forgiveness through one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And Jesus, here, he diagnoses our problem so well. We fear man. We fear what they might think. I don't want to lose friends. I don't want them to think that I'm weird or that I'm judging them or, or you name it. These things go through our heads. But the cool thing about, about Jesus here is he doesn't, doesn't pacify us. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. You know what? Actually, things are going to go well. Like, everyone's going to love you. You just tell them about me. They're going to be so excited. They're going to light up. They're going to celebrate. There's going to be balloons and confetti. No, no. He gives it to us straight. He says, yeah, actually, you might lose some friends. It might be uncomfortable. It might be awkward. You are going to have opposition. He's honest with us, but he tells us, listen, these are the very words of truth. These are the words of truth that I've given you. Everything else will be exposed for what it is. Would you love people enough to tell them about my grace and my love for them? 
And so I just want to encourage us as a church, so many of you have been amazing missionaries, telling your friends, your family, and your coworkers about Jesus, telling them your story about how you now find your hope not in your ability to be good, but in Jesus' death and resurrection. I don't know all your guys' stories that are being baptized today, but my guess is at least one or two of you, of you are here because someone in this room told you about Jesus. Someone in this room got over the awkward conversation and told you about the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And so, church, you have fought through the awkwardness because you see that in the end, what matters is the truth. That all will melt away and be exposed for what it is and that the words of Jesus will stand on that day. And for those of us like me who clam up and sweat and lose more hair, let me just say this. It's probably going to be awkward. I'm sorry. That's the best I can do this morning. We can talk about strategy all we want, and and that's not bad. And we can come up with good ways to have spiritual conversations, but guess what we probably won't ever get over is just it's going to be a little bit awkward, and I think that's okay. But because through that sometimes awkward conversation, you are bringing with you the very words of life. The words that say, listen, I don't know what kind of past you had or the things that you've experienced or what it is in this life that that you have seen, but I know a God that loves you. He created you, he cares about you, and he offers grace and forgiveness and relationship and life for no payment, but for faith in him and him alone. And so my prayer for us, church, is that God would spark an evangelistic spirit among us. And, and, and my prayer is that evangelistic spirit would be fueled by the confidence that we can trust in Jesus, that we are in his household, and that the very words that he has given us are the truth, and that we can proclaim that truth to everyone around us. Amen? Amen. All right. And so Jesus um, has been nice enough to cover one of the top two fears that we have, public speaking, and so now he's moving on to the other one, which is death. So that's exciting. Let's look. Look with me at verses 28 to 33. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Heaven, the third and final point this morning is the reward far outweighs the cost. The reward far outweighs the cost. These verses are an amazing example of how uh, the grace and, and the justice of God exist together. God is just, and so he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He is also powerful. So he is the only one, as it says in here, that not only can destroy the body, but can also destroy the soul as well. His justice is terrifying for the sinner because it goes beyond mere physical death, but it is eternal. However, in the same breath, Jesus shows us the care and concern that God has for us 
in that he numbers the very hair on his head, on our heads, which I'm not very impressed with. I don't, is that a big deal? Or I see some of you out there, you should be impressed by that. But what Jesus is saying is that God has concern for us. The whole thing with the sparrows, they're, they're, they're kind of cheap, sold for a penny, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without my father knowing about it. How much more value are you than a sparrow? In fact, God numbers all the hairs on your head. Jesus is showing us the care that this just God has for us. And then he wraps this section off, showing us the most caring thing that our just God and graceful God has done for us, and that is sending his very son to take our place and our punishment. Look with me uh, at uh, verses 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus teaches us about people and how we fall into one of two camps. You either fear and revere man or you fear and revere God. And Jesus says, at worst, man can take your physical life. He says, man has power to take your physical life. But look, God, your creator, not only has the power to do that, but also your eternal life as well. So it's short-sighted to fear man and just unwise because God is far greater, far bigger. He's eternal and he is exponentially more powerful than any man or woman on this earth. And church, the reward is here as well. On your last day, when you see God face to face, because we all will, only one thing will matter, and that is what did you do with Jesus? Notice it says nothing about behaviors, morality, political affiliation, but simply what did you do with Jesus? Did you deny him or did you accept him? So if on this side of eternity you rejected Jesus, on the other side, God is going to be gracious to give you what you wanted. And that is separation from God. That is eternal separation from God. But for those who revered him, who called him God, he will say, they are covered. They are mine. I am theirs. They are in the family. Why? Because they have stood with Jesus. And why is Jesus standing there before the Father? Why does he get that position? Remember, the good news of the gospel is not how we courageously stand for Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus courageously stood for us, even in the face of rejection, persecution, and opposition. Jesus ultimately would be mocked by his own family. Ultimately, he would be put down by the people around him and despised and opposed and killed by the very religious leaders who who should have been lifting him up. He, the Son of God, would be rejected by man so we could eternally be accepted by the Father. Do you see how that works? Jesus is not asking us to do something that he did not do. He's not saying, everyone love me, but they're going to oppose you. No, he was opposed and he was innocent. And he also lays out a pattern for us to follow. Rejection by man preceded eternal acceptance from the Father. And so church, would we confidently step out into this mission that God has given us? 
Would we proclaim the good news of the gospel, knowing we have nothing to fear because he is with us every step of the way? Amen? I had mentioned my mom and and my dad and kind of their reaction to me coming to Christ. And this isn't everybody's story, but I just want to throw this encouragement out there. Um, My mom did eventually figure out that I had not joined a cult, so that was exciting. Um, But not only that, she also has given her life to Jesus, and she's a member of this very church. Yeah, yeah. And my dad uh, passed away this summer, uh, but he passed away with us being very, very confident that he had given his life to Jesus. Uh, Shortly after I came to Christ, he had a similar experience of giving his life to Jesus, which spurred on just incredible and amazing conversations between us, uh, especially kind of leading up to the end of his life. And so the good news is, is that it's, you know, these are people that started out opposing the, the things that, that I was saying and that the life that I was going through and, and the Holy Spirit broke into them because the Holy Spirit seeks and saves the lost. That is what Jesus is about. That's what we're celebrating this morning. And that is why we can also have courage to step out and have a few awkward conversations with people because we're really uh, digging into things that are affecting eternity and not just here.